Pump up the volume on your parenting with Parent Pump Radio. Tune into something different that makes a difference. At Parent Pump Radio, instead of a ripple, we choose to create a splash. Get energized, get inspired, and get informed with how to parent in the new millennium with your host and parent coach super guide, Jacqueline T.D. Wynn. Hi, this is Jacqueline T.D. Wynn. We're here to pump up your parenting skills, pump up your knowledge, pump up your energy. Welcome to Parent Pump Radio. Our show is about dynamic family leadership, becoming financially free, and leaving a profound legacy for our children. I've recently published my second book called True Legacy Wealth, Creating Generational Wealth Through Real Estate Investing. Our program is at truelegacywealth.com, and it takes the concept of my book and helps you create a cash flow now through real estate investing. Our team is your team in a box because we do it all. We find the properties, we renovate it, we manage it, and you just get to prosper. The properties are between fifty dollars and $150,000, and they cash flow now. You can go to truelegacywealth.com for more information, or you can email me at info at integrativeminds.com to set up a 45-minute complimentary strategy session. The information is in the show notes. Uh, our show is available on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, YouTube, and it's syndicated on rethinkradio.org, oneideaway.com, and Armed Radio. So now on to our show for today. Our guest has been coaching, mentoring, and advising millennials for nearly 20 years, from an advisor in higher education to financial advisor, and as a seasoned life coach, she has learned that what it takes to make dreams become a reality. Her company, Millennials Consulting, LLC, inspires women to be the boss of their finances. Her number one best-selling book, Girl, Get Your Shit Together! teaches millennial women how to own their history with money so that they can boss up and own their futures. She's recently been seen on CNBC, NBC News, MSN Money, and Oh! The Oprah Magazine, also Fortune and Entrepreneur Magazine. She is one of Las Vegas Women Magazine's people to watch. So ladies and gentlemen, I'd like to introduce you to Lisa Chastain. Hi! Hi! How are you, Lisa? I'm awesome. Oh, thank you so much for being on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. I, I love this uh, title, Girl, Get Your Shit Together. <laughs> I saw you light up when you said it. <laughs> Sometimes we just need that little kick in the butt, right, to get things together. That's right. You know, what I realized is that no matter how much our life is put together or how much our life is not put together, Everybody says that to themselves. Every woman I've know, I've met says that to themselves. Yep, absolutely. Now, I know you've had your own personal struggle with learning how to manage money, live your most, most authentic life. And I know at one time you were at the top of your game. So tell us about the journey from struggle to this living this authentic life and being at the top. In 2011, I was at the top of a 12-year climb. I was the director of advising for the Honors College at UNLV. And I was young. I was 31. And I had spent from from 18 years old working at UNLV, working my way up through the system. I got promoted very quickly. It was a very easy, easy and fun career uh, build. And in 2011, I was married and we had just, we had just 
started to short sell our home. We had to short sell our home because we were underwater like everybody in Las Vegas. Three-year-old son, my ex-husband now, um, my husband then was climbing the ranks of Wolfgang Puck, which in food and beverage is, you know, a very esteemed organization. And we were we were burning the candle at both ends. But on the outside looking in, we had everything. And at that point in my life, I really felt like I was at the top, especially when it came to the work I had done at the university. At the same year that I decided to leave, I was awarded advisor of the year. And I was 10 years younger than any other director in my position on campus. So at that point in my life, I felt like I was on top. (laughs) Yeah, everything was like in alignment. That's right. Even though we were going through some financial difficulties with the real estate, we still felt like we had it together. Um, but behind the scenes, we were really struggling. Things were were difficult. And we decided one of us had to leave our jobs in order to restore balance at home. And I'm sure some of your listeners or, or viewers are, are resonating with that. Like it gets to a point where life was just a lot to handle. I was working 60 hours a week. My husband was working 80 hours a week. And um, my son was was the one that was, I think, bearing the brunt of all of that. Yeah, that's hard. Yeah, it was that's hard. That's a it lot was... of work. I mean, not just being away, but when you're home, you probably were so exhausted, you couldn't even mentally really be present. Right, right. So I decided to leave. I felt like I had done what I could do at the university. I had grown a lot, but I also knew that there was probably more out there than just higher education. And so I decided since my husband's career seemed to be on the upward trajectory, that it was my turn to stay home and support the family. And my mom was a stay-at-home mom. So I thought, okay, let's do this. I think that I can do this. And I really struggled as a stay-at-home parent. As the first, the first year was like we recuperated some of our energy financially, though our resources were cut in half. And I struggled. I did not enjoy being a stay-at-home mom. I felt isolated and lonely. And my whole identity had been stripped for who I was at the university and all that I had accomplished. And I'm sitting at home on my couch going, now what? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I can just imagine. It's almost like you're losing your identity. I felt like I had. I felt like I had. Yeah. And so um, my, our, our marriage fell apart. My life fell apart. I really struggled trying to figure out who I was, what, I, what my purpose was. I had to do some deep work at 32 years old to ask the, the important questions about what is the real meaning of life here. And I found myself deciding that I really wanted to go back to work. And then along with some other things that were going on at the household, I needed to go back to work financially. We needed that to happen. And I became a financial advisor because I really loved working with money and helping people with money. And, um, and that's how I found my way into this industry. Is it through that that you discover these five money personalities then? Kind of. <laughs> <laughs> so as, as a financial advisor, I was working at a high net worth firm and we were doing high portfolio investments. And as much as I loved the cerebral aspect of that, I felt like I I was still drawn to helping younger people. I had been doing that my whole professional career. And I wanted to help millennials. But at that firm, there wasn't a whole lot of room for that because we were working with people with multi-million dollars. Um, And there wasn't a whole lot of behavioral advising going on at that point. We were just making sure that they had the right things, the right tools and the right portfolios for retirement. Also, I was struggling because I grew up without a lot of money, even though my husband and I were builders in our 20s, still having a lot of money, my 401k at at the highest point was at $100,000. So I really didn't know what wealth was. Mm -hmm. And I was really uncomfortable being around wealthy people. 
-hmm. And I was struggling to get clients. So financially, I was struggling in my business. And I didn't think that I was going to be able to stay at my firm. I was negative $300 a month because my expenses were over my actual income. So I had depleted my 401k. Financially, I was pretty devastated about that, trying to build my business, keep my family afloat. And, uh, and, and I reached out and I found a mentor who is still my mentor today. But in 2016, I was at a crossroads again, like, what am I going to do here? Financially, my feedback was all around me that I wasn't being successful and I needed some help. So when I hired my mentor, these are her money types. She was a money coach before she was a coach for female entrepreneurs. And so I borrowed a lot of her tools and systems to become a full-time money coach. So I no longer am an investment advisor. I just full-time help people make great choices with their money at the very basic level. Wow. Awesome. Let's get into this. Tell us about the five money personalities. Oh my gosh. This is, this is my favorite thing to teach. Okay. Okay. We don't technically think of money this way, but as a parent or as someone who has, you know, relationships with other people and money, it makes so much sense why we have so much conflict about money because we all have different money personalities. Yep, we do. So that I teach this in, in small groups. I teach this in large groups. And it's, it's really fun to see the interplay of these different personalities. And that explains why certain people go into certain careers and why they have certain financial results versus other people. Um, and so the, the five money types are the delusional money type, the overgenerous money type, the avoider, money personality, the spender or spend thrift and the cheap, like we cheap chip or cheap chick. So cheap, spend thrift, avoider, over generous and delusional are the five that I teach. Even with those names, you can probably guess how they're different. Yeah. So real quickly, yeah, explain blurb for each. So we'll start with delusional. The delusional money type is someone who has a very high self-esteem and success is very important to them. These are the people that will talk all day long about the different businesses that are going to start, or maybe there's someone, some some of your listeners are like, oh my gosh, that's my husband, where they talk a lot about what they're going to accomplish. Mm -hmm. They'll drive fancy cars because it makes them look successful. In their business, they might drop a lot of money on certain things that they think they need to look successful when in in reality, they don't. They have very, very high perception of themselves. But sometimes what happens on the other end of it, financially, they may not have the financial results to match. So they may not have the millions, even though they portray themselves to be that way, if that makes sense. The overgenerous money type is the the woman. So I work with primarily women, but there are overgenerous men as well who are very heart centered and they think with their hearts. So financially, they'll be the first one to give. They're, they're just wake up every single day asking the question, who can I give to? How can I give to them? And financially that shows up where they may be giving more than they have to actually give. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I know some of those people. So you know, some of those, <laughs> some of your listeners are like, Oh my gosh, that's me. The uh, over generous money type will often choose a big van because they have to fit all all 10 of their children or their, their loved ones in the van. Right. Uh Uh (laughs) Okay. So the avoider type is one that shows up less to my seminars because they're avoiding. Mm -hmm. They don't like to look at their problems. They're challenged by looking at their problems. My avoider money types will have bills that pile up over the course of months. They just, even if they have the money, they don't want to look at it 
And they're also typically conflict avoiders. So in relationship, we can see how that would show up, especially in a financial relationship with someone who's an avoider. They don't want to talk about it. And they're, they'll, you'll hear them say, um, let's just look on the bright side of things. The spendthrift are the spenders. Okay, the, that's easy. <laughs> easy. They spend, they, um, they are very present, abundant in the moment with money. They don't stop to think about purchases before they make them. Yeah, budget's and, a four-letter uh, word. Right? <laughs> Right. And uh, they'll throw money at problems. Oftentimes what we see that happens is spendthrifts will, will be throwing money at problems. Uh, my spendthrift clients will have items of clothing in their closets with tags still on them. Uh -huh. They don't return. I, I know things, people like right? that too. Yes. <laughs> and so um, money's just very fluid in and out. Right. You'll hear a spendthrift say, I can go out. They'll just, they just believe they can always go out and make more money. Like it's just always going to be there. And then the cheap money type. So cheap chick or cheap chip are the the hoarders the savers they hoard cash they don't like letting go of cash they it, it actually physically pains them to part with their money they like to watch their money grow they'll put a plan in place and methodically see it through over time which isn't a bad quality warren buffett is a cheap money type um, but, and they'll buy on value. So their, their car will typically be a Camry because it's a good investment and it lasts a long time. Um, but oftentimes with these, with these money types, it ends up strangling other money types or they hold on too tight to the control. Um, they also don't like taking risks. They may not be investing. So I know you do real estate investments. They may not typically do a real estate investment because of the risk. Right. 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 Okay. So those are the five money types. That's how they're all different from one another. So say you have two parents who have different or maybe even opposite money personality. I'm sure we've seen those many times. How do you help them get along because they can't go find someone else? Well, they can, and we know that's how divorces happen, right? That's true. They say number one reason for divorce is overfinanced, either too much or too little. That's right. That's right. My ex-husband is an avoider, spendthrift. And I am a delusional cheap chick. And so how I see money is very different. And I could never sit down and have a conversation with him about it. He never wanted to get real about it. When a couple is in a healthy relationship and their money types are different, the first thing they have to realize is that their money types aren't going to change. So this isn't a conversation about you should be like the cheap chip or you should be like the delusional, the delusional money type. Trying to fit each other into one another's box will never work. The uh, most important thing you can do, though, is have an awareness and appreciation that you both have value and you both bring a lot of value to the relationship having different money types. So you have to find the balance between the two and create systems that support you both. And a good example of this is if you're a spendthrift and you are married to a cheap chip <laughs> or a cheap money type. The spendthrift, you have to make sure that you're giving the spendthrift some money to spend freely, but with a control on it so they don't spend all of it. Give them some free money. Give them you know, $50 a week to go spend on whatever they want and then budget the rest. Okay, okay. Right? For the spendthrift, she has to, he or she has to realize that if their spouse is a cheap money type, that their need to have a plan is really important. So if they have a plan and you support them in sticking with the plan, things will flow a lot easier, more easily in the household. So there's five personality types. Can you give us maybe some strategies to that we can work with with these personality types? Yeah. 
Absolutely. So we'll start with the delusional one again. With the delusional one, what's most important is that you don't drop money on things that don't add value to your life. So they're, you know, delusional money types have big dreams. They're big thinkers. They're big dreamers. So they have to, one, learn how to 10x their activity according to their goal. So if they're thinking big and dreaming big, they need to make sure they're taking the right action. So, so much of what happens in business for them is that they don't take the right action. They don't get the right mentors and then they don't get the results. And because they don't get the results, they jump ship. Mm, okay. But if they just had the right strategies in place and followed through with them, they would have better results. So the second thing is when it comes to money is that they have to focus on return on investment. I love so much of what you do because in real estate, it should, it should be all about return on investment as opposed to having the nice shiny castle house. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. Your primary residence is not an asset. It's actually a liability. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Don't buy a castle unless you have that, you know, unless you know it's going to bring your return on investment. Right. Right. So for the over generous money type, what's most important is that they take care of themselves financially first. And a lot of times with the overgenerous money type is that they have a hard time setting boundaries and saying no, especially when it comes to finances. So everybody in the family probably knows who the overgenerous money type is, and everybody's going to call them when they need something. That's a great quality to have. Be trustworthy and reliable, but financially make sure that you, you're clear on what it is you actually have to give before you give it. So knowing your cash flow, knowing your expenses. And then putting money aside strategically to give. Wealthy people do this all the time. They don't give it all away. You like Oprah. She gives the millions away, but she went out and made the billions first. Right? Yep. yep. For the spendthrift, what's really, really important for the spendthrift is to stop throwing money at problems and slow down just long enough to think through a decision before you make it. That the spending is not always a problem. I think that the spendthrift should spend a lot of time with the cheap chick and vice versa so that they can, they can borrow from each other. Yeah, balance each other out. <laughs> but yeah, but having a spending account and funding a spending account, so having a separate account that you don't pay bills out of, that you have a little money set aside for spending with clarity that you're not going to break the bank in your spending is really important. The one question spendthrifts can ask is how does this add value to my life? So right? just taking that pause right before you just hit. That's right. Purchase. That's right. <laughs> yep. And hire a coach to support you in making those decisions. So I have uh, clients who I'm on the WhatsApp with on my phone. And before they make an impulsive decision, they'll text me. <laughs> and I'm like, no, don't do it. <laughs> it's not a part of the plan. So that helps as well. Having a support system definitely helps that money type. Finally, the cheap money type. So this one is actually one of the more common money types that I find. And it's a lot of how we've learned how to handle money. We've learned how to budget money or be more strategic with it. But for this money type, what you have to know is that cash is not king. This is the money type that will have mucho money in the bank, but they aren't investing it. So they love having cash on hand, but that's not always benefiting them financially. Um, they won't be investing, so they're not beating the market, which means they're not beating inflation. And over time, cash loses value by just sitting in the bank. So they need to learn how to ease up a little bit and take baby steps toward investing. Also, one of the worst habits I see of this money type, the cheap money type, is that they'd rather spend money on a credit card because that'll keep them, that'll keep 
cash in the bank for them. So they'll put a bunch of money on a credit card and not pay it off because then they can keep their cash reserves intact. Well, that doesn't really support them at the end of the day because then they're in debt and paying interest on the debt and they don't want that either. Yeah, yeah, good point. And, and they, can, they can borrow a lot of the spendthrift's abundant mindset. So they need to learn to trust the universe a little bit more, trust in the process a little bit more and let go of control just a little bit to help the other people in their lives as well. So that they don't put their stress on the other people in their lives too. <laughs> so the avoider money type, what's most important is that they have to learn how to outsource. They, they will probably more than likely, no matter what, will not do things that they don't want to do. But at the end of the day, they still have to get done. So one of my avoider money type clients, um, we've just learned how to help him get things outsourced. He's hired a bookkeeper who's managing some of the operations of the finances and also hiring a coach as an avoider is really important because they'll help navigate those difficult conversations so what happens with the avoider is they'll let things go like a long time they'll let conversations go they'll let bills go and then all of a sudden things will just explode relationships will explode so having a coach or a therapist or someone for them to work on these things with will be really important so that they can maintain balance in their lives and our children coming into these personality if as parents how do we know which one it is and can we kind of help navigate that oh yes yes it, it i think that once you get to know these different personalities you'll start to see different behaviors and patterns in your children you'll know that you've got conflict avoidant children and you can help them by having baby conversations or lighter conversations so that they don't feel like they have these you know, these big conversations that are uncomfortable for them to have. So baby steps are really important. I know for myself, I have an 11 year old son, and I have an eight year old stepson. My 11 year old son is a spendthrift. Money is like water to him. It comes in and it goes right back out. So what I've what I'm teaching him to do is that there are three pots of money, there's the spending pot, the savings pot, and the giving pot. So we tie we tie that our home so he can start to see his money in different pots so that he doesn't spend it all on video games. That's a good point. My eight-year-old stepson is a cheap money type. He does not want to spend his money ever. Um, the funny thing is about this money type is that they just don't want to spend their own money. They're okay with spending other people's money sometimes. Okay. Yeah, but <laughs> mom and dad can buy it, right? Right. So helping him learn how to make conscious choices with his money and also monitor it will make him feel better about the fact that it's not all go going to be gone, but that he's going to have to pay for some things along the way. So there are different things you'll notice with your children. Are they, are they the savers? I know uh, some of the parents that I work with will have three children with three different money types. Oh yeah. D yeah. Different. Very different. <laughs> it's different. So, what common conflicts do, are you seeing with many personalities between parents and children? Cause we talked, you know, loved uh, spouses before. Yeah. The biggest thing I see is in generational wealth, where you have families that have uh, families that have accumulated wealth over generations, where the older generation, for example, now are either the silent generation or the baby boomers mm -hmm. who have control of the wealth. And then the, the children, so either Gen Xers or millennials, know that there's wealth. They may not know how much wealth there is. But the conflict that, uh, that I see come up over and over again is that the generation that's in charge of the wealth that has the wealth holds the younger generation to their own values and more than likely to their own money type. What can parents do 
about that? Well, they have to realize that all five of these money types exist in their family and that not everyone is going to be the same or value the same things about money. But having conversations, and there are wealth coaches out there, there are money coaches who will sit to specifically work with families on these conversations to, so that all sides can be heard and that an estate plan or legacy plan can be designed for everyone's needs in mind, not just the parents or the ones at that point who hold the wealth. You know, families that aren't wealthy per se, same thing. Parents will instill their own values on the children. And I've seen that even in my own family, where if one child doesn't behave how the parent believes that they should behave financially, they're punished for it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that can be very damaging in a family. So it's saying, okay, everybody everybody knows who the overgenerous money type is and everybody knows who the spender is too. Yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> so we have like a about a minute left. So I want to find out just what's one thing that everyone should do with their money. One thing is that they should stop seeing it as one thing. That uh, so many families are just still banking out of one account. They see their money as you know, it's all going to meet one goal. So they need to start separating out their money by purpose and treating it differently for the different goals that they have. They'll see a lot more success in doing that. Oh, it's almost diversifying. Okay. Okay. So how can people get a hold of you, find you? Uh, well, my website is lisachastain.com. And that's spelled L-I-S-A-C-H-A-S-T-A-I-N.com. And all my social media handles are there. I'm on Twitter, Lisa underscore Chastain four. And, uh, and I would love to, to stay in touch. I'm active on all social media handles. Okay, awesome. And real quickly, you have a free giveaway. Can you explain that really quick? Sure, sure. So the financial future prediction test is a great way to check in and say, do you, are you doing the right things to have wealth? Yes or no? On a scale of uh, one to 100, you'll be able to check in, answer 10 questions, and it will say, are you doing what you need to be doing to be wealthy? Or are you on the track to being poor? And I think that's very valuable for a family to know. Okay. The link to get that giveaway is in the show notes. And thank you so much, Lisa, for being on the show. Thanks for having me. It was fun. Thank you. And Conrad Hilton said for the quote of the week, success is connected with action. Successful people keep moving. They make mistakes, but don't quit. Thank you, listeners. And until next time, always be learning and always be growing. Thank you so much for joining us today. Go to parentpumpradio.com and click on the pink box on the top of our homepage to listen to our new and archived shows. To be instantly notified of new episodes, subscribe to our RSS feed. The RSS feed button is located at the top of the page where all our shows are featured. And after listening to the show, go to parentpumpradio.com or our Facebook page to leave your comments, questions, and topic suggestions. Until next time, have a wonderful week.